Well, good morning and welcome to Clover Hill. So glad that you're here on a beautiful Easter Sunday. And I'm just going to, can I just jump into the word? We're in a series called Last Words. And, and uh, I did it intentionally that we would end on Easter Sunday. So for the last four weeks, we've been studying the last words that Jesus said on the cross. And, and, and there, I'm going to review them with you just very quickly. But the last words are important words. I, if you've ever been around somebody that was kind of in their last days, they want to say what's most important to them. And on the, in the last words of Jesus, we learn lessons. We get a glimpse of his heart. We see his priorities or his passions. It, it's, it's centered around the crucifixion. And really, it begins in the garden with the ultimate betrayal where he is betrayed by Judas, one of his friends that's been with him for three years. All the disciples scatter. They follow from a distance or from afar. It continues with all the mock trials. You know, in a matter of hours, Jesus went through six illegal trials, three Roman and three religious. And, and they were done at night, which was illegal. He had no counsel, which was illegal. They wasn't supposed to be done during the feast, which was illegal. Um, they were supposed to vote individually if he's guilty or innocent, which they did it collectively, which was illegal. Just, and then the brutal beating, they call it a scourging or a flogging. 39 lashes with a whip that had animal teeth and, and metal balls. Uh, the, metal, the teeth would rip you, rip your back open, and the metal balls would bruise you. And then the carrying of the cross up the hill, getting to Golgotha, being spikes driven into his wrists and feet, and then being crucified for all the world to see. And on that cross, again, he said seven statements. Here's the first one. He said, Father, forgive them. And I would just declare, I would say, that's a word of grace. It's, it's, it's fi- Let me explain it this way. A few, few months ago, I was headed to a minister's meeting, and, and uh, it was a Monday, early Monday morning meeting. It was up north. And so I drove up Sunday night, and I'd been driving a long time, and I was a little bit tired, and I was pulling into the town where my hotel was, and it went from 45 to 25, in, I mean, just like that. And, and uh, out my corner of my eye, I saw him. I mean, he was sitting there, and I was busted. I knew it, you know. And, and uh, it's late at night, and, and, and he turns, in bit, you know, turns on the big blue lights. He wants to wake up the women and children, let them all know. I'm about to get in trouble, turns on the sign, and so I pull over, and, and I see him get out of his car, you know, you know how they do it, and they, he opens that car up, and puts that big old sombrero on his head, and struts up there like John Wayne, and, 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 and I, you know, I'm just kind of caught by the belt, that belt holds a lot of stuff, I mean, that belt is overwhelming, a gun, and mace, and a club, and, and a, a taser, and a place for his donut, and his coffee, I mean, he got everything, right there on the belt, and then, and then he gets to my door, to my window, and he, sir, and then, you know, here goes the thing, sir, do you know what you were doing, I think, officer, I think I was speeding, yeah, you were speeding, all right, where you headed, why the hurry, and I wanted to lie to him, but I, I had to tell him, so I, I'm headed to a minister's meeting, well, why are you going there, because I'm, I'm a pastor, oh, you're a pastor, <laughs> and then he asked, he said, how many of each animals did Abraham put on the ark? And I said, well, two, put two. He said, I thought you were a pastor. I am a pastor. Well, Abraham didn't put the animals on the ark. It was Noah. (laughs) And I said, I told you I was a pastor. I'm just not a very good pastor. (laughs) And and he went on to forgive me. He went on to not write me a ticket, and he was gracious to me. Look, I I deserved a ticket. I was speeding. I broke the law. 
But because of an officer's graciousness, he let me off. Father, forgive them. It's a word of grace. It's an offer of something that we do not deserve. It, Jesus was on the cross looking at the Romans who were crucifying him, looking at the religious leaders who were mocking him, looking at the crowd who was making light of him. He was looking in the eyes of future generations. He was looking at my eyes on the cross and was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It, here's the next word he had a conversation with uh, uh, another, uh, not another, but there were two criminals that were crucified right beside him. And after a dialogue with one particular criminal, he responded and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's a word of mercy. And mercy and grace, uh, though they are a lot alike, they are different. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness and God gives it to me. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. I do deserve judgment. But God gives me mercy. The way, here's the deal. The wages of sin is death, but God offers me eternal life. That's, that's his mercy. And, and we identified or we, we try to articulate that all of us in week chapter two, week two, that all of us are guilty, that we're all sinners, that we've all missed the mark, that we've all fallen short. And every time I say that, there's resistance. No, I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. I'm better than or, or I'm a pretty good person. And we, we, we try to resist it. No, no, no. The reality is, if, is if you're a sinner, just like I am. We, oh, let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever lied? Have you ever said a false statement? Have you ever tried to cover your back? Have you ever, what, if you've ever said a lie, that makes you a liar. And the Bible says if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. So if you've said a lie, you're a liar. Anybody ever stole something? Maybe it was an answer on a test from somebody that sat next to you. Or, or maybe, I don't know, something from the store. Or I have a black pair of flip-flops that somebody stole at my house. And, and I got, they're my favorite flip-flops. And my kids are in the service this morning. And I got an idea that you are the ones that stole them. And I, I'm coming after you after today's service. But if you've ever stole something, that makes you a thief, makes you a thief. If you've ever put something in God's place, a, a hobby, a profession, a person, something that you have idolized, it makes you an idolater. So it's Easter Sunday at Clover Hill. Welcome. I'm so glad you've come. You're a lying, thieving idolater. And so am I. See, the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. But the gift of God, the mercy of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Today, you will be with me in paradise, is a word of mercy. Here's the next thing he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a word of identification. Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever felt hurt? Have you ever been in a bad place? You ever felt alone? Ever felt misunderstood? Ever asked why? Ever had doubts? Ever been tempted? Ever struggled? Ever been afraid? Jesus has too. And not only does he sympathize with you, I'm sorry for what you're going through. He's able to empathize. Because what he went through, uh, he knows our feelings. He knows. That, that's why the Bible says, now we have a high priest who's gone to the heavens. And he, he's a good high priest because because he has been stricken with, with our struggles. He knows every struggle that we've gone through, but he did it without sin. Therefore, we can approach God's 
throne room in grace that we might receive mercy and help in our darkest hour, in our deepest trial, in our greatest need. My God, my God is a word of identification. God can identify with whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, or whatever you will go through. The next word out of his mouth was, it is finished. And it wasn't, it is finished. It was, it is finished. Why? Because it wasn't a word of defeat. It was a word of victory. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Everything needed to be done to, to guarantee that people could spend eternity in heaven, that people could have their sins forgiven, their past redeemed, to ensure the promises of God. Everything that's need to happen, Jesus says, I've done it. It's complete. It is finished. He justified. He satisfied the, the righteousness of God. The sacrifice that was sufficient. Our debt was canceled. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how, this is how Paul says it. Paul says it. Paul says this way, though he was God, he emptied himself and became nothing. And he took the very nature of a servant and he was formed in the appearance of a man and he became obedient to death, even death on, at the cross. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is finished. I've done it. I've completed it. I've accomplished it. And then today we've finished with this last words. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's the lesson for us? What's the application for us? It's, it's a word of trust. When it says uh, commit, it, it means I give you my life. I surrender my will. I yield to your leadership. I submit to your way. I give in to your plan. Ultimately, that's why that's why God sent his son. That's why Jesus died, so that our sins could be forgiven. We could be reconciled with our creator. And it happened so that we might respond by giving Christ our life. It's if he thought I was worth dying for, he's worth living for. It's the hope is that we're going we're gonna to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, I trust you with all my heart, and I lean out on my own understanding. I don't know the right way. I don't know the right thing to do. I'm going to lean on you and your wisdom. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you. My life is not categories. My life is not different segments. My life is my life. I'm going to trust you with my work and my kids and my relationship and my money and my everything is yours. I'm going to trust you with all my heart. I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways and I'm going to believe that you're going to guide my steps. I'm going to, into your hands, I commit my spirit. God, I give you my life. And, and, and to do that, you got you to gotta understand a few things. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Number one, I must trust that he's real. God is not just a fictitious deity. He's not a God of many other gods. He's not just another God that we worship. He is almighty God, and like him, there is no other. The Bible starts with, in the beginning, God created. And I'm not an apologist. I'm and definitely not a scientist. My job is not to defend. My job is to present the gospel to you and let you decide what you're going to do with it. But I am under the understanding, I, am, I have come to a conclusion that science does not debunk or contradict the Word of God. Science even elevates that there is a creator. Well, where do I, where do I, where do I come to that understanding? Again, let me just read, besides our son, 
the nearest star is 4.3 light years away. So that number doesn't remain a figure. Let's take it a little further. Light travels at a speed of over 186,000 miles per second. Not per mile, but per second. That's roughly 670 million miles per hour. Our airplanes fly about, 100, about 500 miles per hour. To reach the closest star by airplane would take approximately 51 billion years. To, but that light from that star travels the earth in 4.3 years. The moon orbits the earth at 239,000 miles away. If you traveled by plane to the moon, it would take 19 days. But its light reaches the earth in 1.3 seconds. The sun is 93 million miles from the earth. If you boarded a jumbo jet today, it would take you 21 years to get to the sun. For you that don't fly, it would take 200 years to drive. And that's not counting bathroom breaks and stops at Chick-fil-A. Let's expand further. The stars you see at night, there are, this is what they kind of understand to be, three times 10 to the 23rd power. So when you look out on a clear night, you see, you see 23, you see three with 23 zeros beside, behind it. That's the number of stars. But these are only the stars in our galaxy. The closest galaxy to us is 2.3 million light years away. And scientists believe that there are billions of galaxies and each of them loaded with billions of stars. We've yet to glimpse the ends of our galaxy cluster, yet alone the universe. And, and would you say that's Big Bang or would you just say he determined the numbers of stars and caused them each by name? There is no way that this creation cannot have a creator. And that's what the psalmist concluded. And he said... Great is the Lord. I've looked at the stars. I've seen the moon. I've felt the sun. And mighty in power and his understanding has no limit. I, I, I went, uh, when I was uh, in high school, I went on a trip to Canada. We, we canoed through all the great lakes and, and we would uh, portage. We'd, we'd sleep and, and, and we just, we'd sleep on the land, obviously, and paddle through the water and we would fish. And as I saw the the majesty of the land and the greatness of the lakes. I remember as a sophomore in high school declaring there is a God and he's creative. He's unique. He's special. When I look at the leaves turning color in, in the fall and falling from the trees, again, I mean, is that just coincidence? Is that just chance? Is that the, the, it's the creation of an almighty God? This past week, uh, we went to the beach for three days, and, and I stood on that shoreline, and I watched as the waves crashed, and, and I stood there as they only came up a certain distance, and, and I just marveled, who tells the waves how far they can go up? I have to conclude that that's not some big bang, that that's just not a matter of fact, that that's not circumstance, that that is almighty God, because the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands, and night after night they display knowledge. Their voice goes into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. See, every star is an announcement, and every leaf is a reminder. The glaciers are megaphones, and the seasons are chapters, and the clouds are banners, and nature is a story of many parts, but one theme, and that theme is, in the beginning, God created. Here, here you want to you 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 go a little bit further. This is an eight-week-old baby in its mother's womb. At eight weeks, a heartbeat can be heard. Heart has been beating for one month. An EKG can be done. Brain waves are measurable. Two weeks ago, 
feels pain and responds to touch. A baby eight weeks in its mother's womb will suck its thumb, will grasp instruments placed in his or her, her palm, will swim with a natural swimmer stroke. At 11 weeks, no new organs are created. They, they just begin to mature. At 11 weeks old, in your mother's womb, you breathe, you swallowed, you digested, you slept, you were awakened, you dreamed, you tasted, you felt, you reacted to light or noise. Is that evolution or is that the word of God? You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're going to trust God with all your heart, if you're going to lean not on your own understanding, if you're going to acknowledge him in all his, your ways, you have got to first believe that he's real, that, that he's just not a distant deity, that he's not some figment of your imagination, that he is an all-powerful, almighty God, that he's eternal, that he's omnipresent, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipotent, that, that he's enduringly strong and entirely sincere, that he's eternally steadfast and impartially merciful. You got to believe that God's unprecedented, that he's supreme, that he's preeminent, that he can satisfy all your needs and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak and, and, and hope for the tempted and tried, that he sympathizes and he sees, that he guards and he guides, that he heals the sick, forgives the sinner, delivers the demonized. He defends the feeble and blesses the weak and regards the age and rewards the diligent. That his mercy is everlasting and his love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. He is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's all things to all people. He's the giver of life. He's the joy out of every sorrow. He's the light out of every darkness. He's the peace that passes all understanding. He's the giver of good. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're asking the question, well, what do I have to believe if I'm going to trust him with all my heart? What, what do I have to do to trust a God like that? You've got to believe that he's real. Secondly, you've got to believe or you must trust that he's good. Because your, your perception of God is, the, is to the degree that you will pursue, pursue or re resist God. If you have a perception of God that is holy, that is, that is good, that is gracious, that is sweet, you, you'll run to that God. If you have a problem, you'll go to that God. But if you have a view of God that's mean or distant or distracted or troubled, you'll stay away. If you think he's ticked at you, mad at you, if you get too close to him, he'll smack you. If he really doesn't like you, then trusting him is an impossibility. And, and I don't want to be tried. I don't want to make something smaller than it is. But you got to know, you got to be reminded that God loves you. That, that, that Jesus is for you. Here, here's how Paul said it. He said, he said nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Height, nor debt, nor angels, or demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, or principalities. Nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, his son. Well, how did Paul come to that conclusion? Because dem God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love for you is not based on your past or your performance or your potential. It's based on his nature. God is love. He's wild about you. He's 
crazy about you, always has been and always will be. I'm asking you to give your life to, to God. I'm asking you to trust in him with all your heart. I'm asking you to yield to his ways. And before I ask it, I got to tell you that God is real and God is good. He loves you. He cares for you. That he, if God cares for the birds of the air, if he clothes the lilies of the field and cares for the birds of the air, how much more does he care for us? There's a story in Mark chapter 5 where, where Jesus was teaching a, a crowd of people and, and, and they, they were engaged. They were sitting on the edge of their seat a lot like you're doing right now. And, and they're, that was supposed to be funny, laugh. <laughs> you're a little bit too tense right now, lighten up. And, and, and he, was, he was just giving them the word and going out. And somehow, somebody, something happened, but he's like, we got to go, guys. And so he gets the 12 disciples, and he gets on a boat, and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. In the middle of the sea, he comes across a storm where it's so bad the disciples think they're going to die. He stands at the bow of that boat and says, peace be still, and the waves immediately calm. He gets to the other side of the sea, and there's a demonized madman who who has been running around for years through the, through the grave site, through the tombs. He's been cutting himself with, with sharp objects. He's been causing chaos and confusion in the neighborhood. He, they, they tried to bind him together, but he would just break it and, and continue to do what he did. Jesus stepped off the boat, and he was confronted with that man. And, and it didn't take long, but Jesus said, come out and be clean. And the Bible says that that man was immediately in his right mind, and he, was, and he was clothed. And they had a conversation, and the man said, now in his right mind, now knowing what he knows, now understanding what he understood, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus said, the best thing you can do is go to your neighborhood, go to your village, go to your community, and tell them everything I've done for you. Jesus gets back on the boat. He crosses the eight miles across. He gets off the boat, and he goes back the next day to teach in the crowd. It's a miracle to me that God would rescue that demonized man. But even maybe a greater miracle is that God, Jesus, the Son of God, would stop what he was doing, would get in a boat, would face a storm, that would cross a lake, that would get to another side, that would minister to one man, would get back and go the other way. Why would he do that? Because he cares. He's a good God. He not only loves you, he cares about you. And God's no respecter of person. If he did it for him, he'd do it for me. There's another story in Mark in, in the Luke's gospel of uh, a girl, I mean, many of you are familiar with it, that had an issue of, of bleeding. For 12 years, she bled. And there was no remedy. There was no hope. There was no doctor's cure. There was nothing she could do. She'd wasted all her money on trying to provide a cure. And, and, and Jesus is walking through a particular town. And, I mean, there's crowds everywhere. It's like going to Disney World on spring break trying to get to, to Magic Mountain or whatever that, the, the, the ride is. I mean, it's just like people everywhere. They're pressing against them. It's hot. They're sweating. They're, I mean, and all of a sudden, he goes, who touched me? And the disciples go, what, what do you, who touched you? you we're, we, we are surrounded by thousands of people. It could have been a multitude of people. What do you mean? Who no, no, somebody touched me. And he looked down, and there was that lady that had been bleeding for 12 years. And I think he got on one knee, and he took her chin by his finger, and he said, daughter. First time in Scripture, he called somebody daughter. He looked in her eyes and said, your faith has made you whole. And immediately she was healed. Why would Jesus stop in a crowd? Why would he stop what he was doing? How would he feel it? Because he cares. He cares about individuals. He cares about that lady. He cares about you. That, you remember the story of the lady caught in adultery? She's thrown at his feet, really just to trap him. She's feeling shame. She's feeling hurt. She's feeling abuse. She's, she, I mean, every kind of emotion 
she's trying to cover up every kind of emotion she can feel. It's welling out of her. She won't even look up. She's not even listening. And Jesus said, hey, look, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Where's your accusers? I think he has to lift up her head to even get her to look. She looks around, puts her right back down. They're gone. Now look at me. Look at me. Your accusers are gone. And neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why would Jesus do that? Because he cares. He cares. We, we love at Clover Hill, we love the foster care community. We feel like it's our, not just our obligation, but our mandate to make a difference in the lives of kids from hard places. And, and we partner with Department of Social Services in Chesterfield, and, and we've recruited families to take these kids in. And, and we, we really, we've been doing it now hard for about three years, and we've made a dent. We want to do more, and, and we're, we just feel like this is where, where God has put us. And, and, and one of the ways that we do that is we host a royal family camp. And so in August, we'll take a week, and we'll have 30 kids from from group homes and from foster homes, they'll come to this camp and we will love on them. They'll fish for the first time. Many of them, they'll go swimming for the first time. It's called Royal Family Camp because we just want, we want them to feel royal, like royalty for a week. And the people at Clover Hill in three weeks raised $30,000 to make that happen. We've recruited 45 people that are going to take their vacation this summer and spend it serving and working with and loving on 30 kids that feel abandoned and abused and neglected. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait. I think it's going to be really the highlight of my year. And it all kind of started when I heard a story from a young girl that was in Colorado that attended one of these camps. And uh, it's nationwide. And as she was at this camp, they kept trying to love her and break through and nothing really hurt. She, she kept threatening that she was going to kill herself. She kept rejecting any acts of affection, any, would not respond to any kind of love. And the counselor just kept telling her, hey, God loves you. God has a plan for you. God cares about you. No, he doesn't. If God loved me, my dad wouldn't be in jail and my mom would be able to take care of me. If God even knew how I was, I wouldn't be at this stinking camp. I'd be home with my parents. I wouldn't be in foster care after foster home. She just kept trying to express, well, he does love you. He's got a plan for you. Well, on the night of the birthday party, they celebrate everybody's birthday. It doesn't matter if you're, married, you're, you're born in December or June. They'll celebrate, we celebrate just extravagant gifts. And that particular year, a church in Pennsylvania got together all the gifts. A church in Pennsylvania brought in a 1,000 gifts because there were a 1,000 kids in 20 different states that these gifts would be shipped to. And they categorized them by gender and by age and they put them in a box and they wrapped them up neat and then they spent weeks praying over them god we just pray that you'll get this gift to the right person and and this gift will minister to the to particular kid and, and these gifts go to pennsylvania and one of them ended up in colorado and one of them was the gift for this little girl that nobody cared god didn't even know she was dead in her mind they finally convinced her to open it up the gift and and she opened it up and she pulled out it was a little doll, a little strange little doll. It didn't, didn't even look like much. The, the doll was not important. But as she started studying the doll, tears started coming down her eyes. There was a little note card on the doll's neck, and it said, Hi, my name is Natasha. The little girl's name was Natasha. God in his grace 
God in his ability to ordain got a gift out of a thousand gifts in 20 states and orchestrated it where a little girl that didn't even think God cared knew her name. I'm asking you to give your life. I'm asking you to give air. I'm asking you to surrender your will and surrender your heart and say, Jesus, unto your hands I commit my spirit. But until I do that, I want you to know he's real. He, he's just not a distant deity. He's, he's not out there somewhere doing his own thing. He's interested in you. And, and not only is God real, but God is good. He loves you. He cares about you. Well, well, well if God is, is so good, why does, why does so much bad happen in the world? Why is there divorce and why is there abuse and why, why is there a ne neglect? Because in this world, you're going to have tribulation. As a part of the curse, Adam and Eve sinned a long time ago. And it knocked the world off balance. It got it off kilter. And there were consequences to sin. And because of sin, there's murder and strife and disease and heartache and, 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 and pain and difficulty and challenges. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. God is real. And God is good. And thirdly and finally, i got to trust in his way. Here, here's, here's what this, this real good God said through his son Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And many of us want to get to God in our own way. We, we, we have this, there's this real prevalent idea that you can be saved by works. That if I'm just good enough, if I do enough... The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's not God's way. Works are not God's way. It's a gift of grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, we, well my way to God is through heritage. I've got a great-grandmother. I've got a great-grandfather that was a preacher. Therefore, it's just going to trickle down to me. That's not God's way. God's way says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Some people say, well, well, I'll make it my, I'll just be religious. I'll do the right thing. I'll get baptized. You can be baptized so many times that every fish in the ocean knows you by name. You can have a cross around your neck and not have Jesus in your heart. You can be on the roll of every church in Chesterfield County and not have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. That's just another way. God says, that's not my way. Some people will declare that, well, I'm just saved by sincerity. As long as I'm sincere, then that's a, you can be sincerely wrong. People tell me all the time, well, there's many paths to God. There's many ways to get to heaven. That's like me telling you there's many numbers that can get my wife on the telephone. There's one number that connects me to, the, to my wife. There's one number that I have to dial. There's not many. There's one. If all beliefs lead the same path and all lifestyles end with the same result, if everybody goes to heaven, regardless of what we believe or what we do, if there's no right way of thinking or wrong way of thinking, if you believe that, then you believe that Adolf Hitler and Abraham are sitting in the same heaven right now. If there are many ways to God, then what Jesus did in, on the cross was insignificant. You know, you know what he said? He said in the garden, he said, Father, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me. If there's any way for, for you to redeem mankind, if there's a plan B, if there's any other strategy, if there's any other way that, that people can be saved and made right with you, let it be. Lord, I really don't want to go to this cross. And his, he was, God responded 
by a squadron of soldiers with torches and knives and swords coming to take him away. If, if, if there are many ways to God, I have no respect to God the Father. I have no respect for a daddy that will punish his kid, that will torment his kid, that will make his kid go through what Jesus went through. If there was any other way, if there were many ways to God, the crucifixion was just theater. It was just drama. But there's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus' way. I've got to believe in it. I've got to trust it. I'm asking you to give God your life. I'm asking you to give him your everything. I'm asking you to give him your money and your time and your energy and your focus. To say, into your hands I commit my spirit. But I'm telling you, he's real. And he's good. And his way is the only way. Because his way is the salvation by surrender. Therefore, I urge you. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm pleading with you. In view of God's mercy. In view of what Christ has done for you, in view of the debt that's been paid for you, in view of God's grace and his love and his goodness, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For that, this is your true and proper worship. You know, I love, I love my church. I love Clover Hill. We, Angie and I will celebrate 20 years this June. We, we, I just love every. I love our worship. I love our people. I, you know, I love our people that serve this morning. I get to stand up here and spit in the air condition and 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 say, while we got people in the parking lot that are sweating and trying to help, give them a high five on the way out. While there's people in the kids' church that are taking care of your kids and loving on them like they were their own. We've got the greatest people. The great. But I just, I've told our people that come here regularly. Today is not about us. It's about, this message is not for us. They've heard these stories. They, they know the drill. This is for their friends. This is for their coworkers. This is for their family members. This is for the people that, who, do, who do, they do life together with, who have not said to Jesus, Lord, I give you my life. This, this sermon, this service, this day was dedicated and planned and prepared for you. Here's, here's what we've been praying the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. Satan has blinded eyes. That's the God of this age. And unbelievers does not mean that, and here's what I always say, well, I believe in God. I'm not talking about just a mental belief. The demons believe in the God, and they're, they're not going down the right path. You can believe in God but not know God. And, and, the, and, the, and the Bible is saying the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers, those who have not fully trusted and completely surrendered to Jesus. He's, he's put something in their way. If this is the gospel, if this is the truth, there's a barrier, there's a hindrance. Maybe it's a past experience. Maybe you went to a church growing up and all they did was tell you how bad you were and every week you were going to hell. And I mean, you just put up a barrier. I'm, I don't want that. Maybe it was somebody you respected, somebody you loved, they hurt you, they mistreated you. I don't want anything to do with that. See, I, I've been praying, this church has been praying that that barrier would be removed so that you could see. Oh, you've heard it on multiple, multiple times, but my prayer is that you'll see it, that God is real and God is good, and His way is the only way. He blinds them so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring God is real. 
God is good. And there's one way. And it goes through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody. Amen. Bow your heads with me, will you? Lord, I thank you for your word today. And I just pray in Jesus' name that, that you would begin to convict hearts, draw, draw hearts. Lord, I pray that the love of God would rush over this place like an ocean. Lord, that fear would be removed. That, that anything that would distract or hinder or keep people from responding to you would be gone in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those this morning that are far from you, who have never made a commitment to you for whatever reason, that, that they, they, they've not seen it before. But today, Lord, we're praying that they'll see it, that they'll see the goodness of God, that they'll see the grace of God, and that they'll surrender to you. Pastor, I need to surrender to the Lord. That's me. I've heard it before, but I've never seen it. And today, I want to give my life to God fully and completely. I realize, I understand He's real, He's good, and He's the only way. Jesus is the only way. Will you help me? Will you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye shut. Will you raise your hand? It's just so I can know I'm praying with. Is there anybody? I need Jesus today. I need him to forgive me. I need him to cleanse me. I need to surrender. Thank you. Anybody else? I need Jesus. You want to join those 15 or 20 in first service, about 15 in second service. Are there more today? I need Jesus today. I need the Lord today in the center section. Anybody? I need Jesus today. Thank you. I need the Lord to forgive me today. You can put it down. On my right, I need Jesus today. Thank you. You can put it down. Anybody else? I need Jesus today. Anybody in the balcony? I need the Lord today. I need him today. I realize he's the only way. I'm going to surrender my heart to him, my life to him today. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, will you? For, for the sake of the few, will everybody stand to their feet? I want to lead you in a prayer. I, I, want, to ask the, I want to ask the Lord to, to help you. And You don't have to repeat after me, but I, I would. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, so there has to be a belief and there has to be a confession. And I, I would say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you're real. I believe that you're good. I believe that you're the only way. And I accept you today. I accept the sacrifice for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. And Lord, this morning I ask you to lead me. I just declare into your hands, I commit my spirit. This is what I would say. I would say, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender my will to you. I surrender my way to you. Lord, I want to trust in you with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways. Help me, Lord. 